Welcome to Friends You Wish You Had. We are not those friends. Uh, I'm here with Jeff, as always. Hey, Jeff. Roman, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, pretty solid week, you know, um, second wave style. I'm in New York City, so it's not as bad as in other places, but sc- schools are about to close again. Um, you know, the the governor and the mayor are warning about closing uh, dining again. Uh percentages on positive tests are up to like 2.93%, which is not what you want. If you, if, if you believe anything the scientists are saying, um, let me, let me, let me digress just for one second before we actually get in, get into more of that. I mean, all that stuff is, 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 it's the number one story, but I gotta say, I just want to begin very quickly, uh, and talk about, uh, SpaceX. I want to talk about Dragon X, you know, I want to talk about, uh, uh, COVID and, and how this shit is being handled in this country and where we're at. I want to start with SpaceX, Dragon X. They just went to space uh, for the second time. The first one was a couple months ago, two guys, no payload, or I don't think there was like a huge payload, just small payload. They didn't have a ton of plans and they went up there and I think they were told that they had like a 5% chance of catastrophic mission failure. But for these test pilots, for you, Jeff, if you don't mind me mentioning, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, you're a, you, you are a paratrooper. So I think there is a, as someone who's afraid of flying, there's a different brain to the person who's willing to jump out of a plane over and over again, and, and perhaps even more extreme for someone who's a test pilot. Do you, did that mean anything to you? Did that come across your radar? Just like seeing four people to earlier today blasted off into space. Does that still matter to you? <laughs> I, guess I, not. I don't know. I mean, yes, kind of. You All know, right, well, I, I don't really understand how the whole public private partnership works. In this new uh, space exploration specs, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the whole well, but, but seeing, private partnership works in this whole new. Seeing four people risk their lives to get into a fucking rocket, yes, and, and go up very, to do ex- experiments in space. Very moving, for sure. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's cool. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. All right, so moving on to COVID. That's a, what, I mean. What? How do you feel about? It? No, no, Is no, it no, significant. No. Do you know how that works? How the whole new public-private partnership for this whole space exploration thing works? It's always, it's like Elon I, Musk, but then they talk about NASA and Jeff Bezos has his space program, and you know, yeah. I guess part of me is cynical because I think all these guys should pay more taxes, and NASA should have a space program. But oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, yeah, I do. Like you know, I, I have to admit, I, I pour myself a cocktail, and I sit down an hour before liftoff, and I watch, and I get fucking anxious. I get nervous about it. I'm like, I'm terrified that something's gonna go wrong. And when they, you know, when the rocket reaches like a certain point, especially once they get into orbit. Of course, a million things could go wrong throughout the the entire course of the mission. But as they progress through these milestones of you know 
engineering brilliance, I, I get excited. I get excited. I, I, I watch the speeches that the astronauts make. I, I, uh, I get curious about who they are. Um, who are they? Well, for the most part, they're just maniacs, you know? Like, I can't tell you the, all the names of their children and wives and husbands but and I mean, this and that. But I mean, who do they work for? Um, are they employees of a private corporation? Are they members of the military on active duty? Are they civilians oh, who work for NASA? How does that work? I just know nothing about it. I don't, I don't know. There's a, you know. There's a lot of Americans who were test pilots, and there's a lot of Americans who were in the military and flew flew jets and that, you know, this and that. Um, that's actually more true of the last group. This group, um, you know, I can't get too deep into it. You know, I, they're just, I, I just sort of just get uh, impressed by just the general resume that they all have, which usually involves a lot of bravery. I don't know. You're talking about, the fi I don't know the finances. I'm just excited about people who are willing to get on a rocket ship and Space fire Force. up in space. Space Force shit. That's your like Space Force, Star Trek. I can space dig Force. it. I can dig it. <laughs> I don't right. know why. I always never, I never understood why if we had to have this huge boondoggle defense department where we were forced to waste all this money on weapons, why couldn't they just waste it all on space exploration, mm -hmm. which is a lot safer, a lot more dynamic. Sure. And possibly has a lot more benefit to to mankind i, I was like if you got to waste all these trillions of dollars why not you know do it with space exploration instead of you know fighter jets and aircraft carriers and nuclear missiles but well jeff bezos work out that way <clears throat> jeff bezos would agree with you because he said he can he said he can't think of anything to do with the massive fortune that he's collected um that's as great as space exploration I'm just saying that's what he's gonna do. He's not well. He's not gonna give his money to you know. Well, he's not gonna pay any taxes. So you're not gonna pay any taxes. He's not gonna help folks. He's just gonna you know try to come up with different rockets. Who knows? Maybe he'll save the world. It's true. It's true. Uh, some, some private enterprise. It's like a dream. So it's moving past. So I want to society. <laughs> it's like oh Jeff Bezos, this entrepreneur who started a business. In his garage is one day through pluck and private enterprise and lack of government regulation going <laughs> to save the world and, and paying little tax, little in tax. So maybe so. I would be, you know, I guess if the outcome is good, I'm for it. Well, so I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the excitement of space travel before we got into politics, but that seems to be impossible. We, we can't with COVID. We can't put anything on hold. We can't put football on hold. We can't put space shit on hold. <laughs> Doesn't matter. College football, nothing. You know, weddings. Everyone's like, well, hey. Gotta do what we gotta do. Uh, so, yeah. So, COVID. Let's get to it. Since that's kind of impossible to ignore. Um, well, you just made the argument that people are doing their damnedest to ignore it. How's it going in Florida? Um, 10,000 cases in Florida yesterday, and I think a 9% positivity rate. And the governor tried to hire some cab driver QAnon conspiracy guy in his data collection office, the state data collection office. Mm -hmm. And only after it got discovered and 
enough appropriate outrage was the guy not given the position. So probably not well in Florida, but for some reason, I don't know if it's because the Republicans and Trump have so bolstered Florida's healthcare infrastructure since the pandemic started, or there's a lot of seniors that are naturally cautious, or it's this state with this lot of space and the suburban lifestyle. The hospitals don't seem to be filling up as fast as in other places. So it's a little, maybe that's one silver lining in Florida, but, um, but not well, it's not going well in Florida. Yeah. There's a sad story coming out of Chicago that uh, 33 year old musician, Jeremiah, uh, who's, uh, you know, successful, you know, knows, you know, friends with done songs with people like Ty Dollar Sign and Chance the Rapper uh, is 33 years old. He's in the ICU with COVID right now. Gotcha. I think these stories are sort of like, it's almost like, I don't think these stories ever went away, but we have the bandwidth for them now, or we're ready to discuss it again, or, or maybe most Americans aren't, but the media is back to it. Um, you know, we had the election. We, we certainly had reasons to uh, talk about other things, but um, a little settle in now as Thanksgiving is coming up, as the holidays are, are coming up. Um, for people just, you know, getting back to that realization, you know, there's a lot of people talking about canceling Thanksgiving. That's, that's sort of like trending amongst the Hollywood elite, if you want to put that, put it that way. Of people tweeting all over the place, we're canceling Thanksgiving. I, you know, maybe as, as some attempt at uh, a public health um, assistance. Um, New York, which was doing well for so long, is is getting a lot worse. We're talking about closing schools. We're talking about closing uh, restaurants. Where we were at the below one. You know, New York's testing a lot, and we were at below one percent positivity rate for a while, which depending on what you read is important to be below that 1% threshold. Now we're, you know, nearing 3%. If we haven't already reached it, you know, test lag. Um, I don't know if you saw that tweet from that South Dakota nurse that's been going around Twitter today. Hmm. Um, I have a night off from the hospital as I'm on my couch with my dog and I can't help but think of the COVID patients the last few days. The ones that stick out are the ones who still don't believe the virus is real. The ones who scream at you for a magic medicine and that Joe Biden is going to ruin the USA all while gasping for breath on 100% Vapotherm. They tell you there must be another reason why they are sick. They call you names and ask you why you have to wear all that stuff because they don't have COVID, because it's not real. This really happens. Um, yeah, well, there's a story from like three or four months ago or whatever. There was some woman, I forget, I think it was her son or her, I don't know if it was her son or her husband. I think it was her son who died from COVID and she was calling the hospital complaining that his death certificate said COVID. And she's like, no, he didn't die from COVID. Bullshit, you know. Crazy. But it's got to be... But it's, you know, it's just, it's just gotta be, you know, trauma, anxiety, fear, like, you know, you just, it's dealing with COVID, even for someone with means, and I would put myself in that category, I'm doing okay, like, it's, you know, um, 
I can ride it out. I've gotten a family where I'm not worried about food. I'm not worried about shelter. I'm not worried about water. I'm not worried about safety. Um, and, and even for me in that position, COVID's been a fucking trip. Like it hits everyone differently. For me, it was worse. It, the worst point was in March. Like when you're first being told there's a pandemic and you have to stay inside your house. That was when I was just like a fucking mess. You know, there were moments where I'd be sitting there thinking, am I losing my mind and like feeling claustrophobic? Um, it hits everyone differently, but like, you know, that's me in a pretty comfortable position, um, let alone what it's done to the homeless population in New York, let alone what it's done to senior citizens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's been a brutal thing. And I, and I think, you know, some people don't want to believe it. Some people are just, you know, too scared to admit it or, or, or whatever it is. And when you have someone you trust and, you know, for, for people, you know, who support Trump, it's Trump. For people who support, you know, quack doctors, whoever it might be, whoever the person is that you trust, um, when they tell you you shouldn't be worried, you stop worrying because it's so much nicer not to worry. Um, so, yeah, it just, it sucks. But like, I, I think that's almost the perfect example. Someone sitting in the hospital out of breath dying from this disease and refusing to believe that it's real, what better moment to refuse to believe that the disease is real than when you're dying from it? Because that's when you're at your most vulnerable. That's when you're most afraid. You know, you, 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 they're not letting your family in to see you. You have to talk to your spouse, your kids, your family members on fucking Zoom. Um, you know, it just sucks. It sucks. And so it's, it, it's a fucking shame that people who are, are, are uh, denial in denial um, are killing other people, you know, but I think it's interesting. This is something since it began, it has done exactly what the experts said it was going to do. Exactly. 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 And the, some of the steps that were taken at the behest of the experts, mitigated the effects for a while. Um, and then I think people sort of felt like they were tired of it. And, you know, because there was less of it around, it seemed like maybe it was maybe not gone, but not something to worry about as much. And people want to get back to their normal routine. So they start to go about their normal routines and they start to like look for loopholes and exceptions and way they, ways they can do things. And now here we are in November and it is, we are exactly where they said it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, respect to the experts. Maybe we should listen to them more. Well, they're not psychologists. They're epidemiologists. They're virologists. Or I, I don't know if I pr I'm pronouncing that correctly, but, um, but you know, they're not psychologists. They, they, they cannot, I guess part of their, uh, uh, Part of their job is to try and figure out how population will respond to these sorts of things. But, you know, that's not their expertise. And, you know, I, we are sort of at the low end. You, you almost wonder about it. Like I remember in March, um, predictions were that if we did absolutely nothing, by the end of the year, we would lose 200,000 to a million people, something like that, you know. Um, 
you can't say that we've done nothing. We, we've definitely done a lot less. But you have, you know, we have America. You have different states doing different things. Um, you have mask use at acceptable levels in some major cities and not in others or not in certain rural areas. Um, so, you know, you never know how it all plays out, but, you know, we are in the numbers that they told us in March that we might have to deal with, the number of infections, the number of deaths. It's, um, it's crazy to me what's happening in the Dakotas where they're basically now matching New York levels of per capita, per capita infection in fucking North and South Dakota. You mean where they just had that huge biker rally? Yeah. You know, six, eight weeks ago where everyone's like, this is going to be a super spreader event. And people are like, what do you mean? I feel fine. It's, it's been two days. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, science and probability and all that stuff that shows you how to track the spread of the pandemic it all it all works out <laughs> when you have these you have these depressing stories like there's that story of the wedding i think it was in the northeast i forget exactly you, sorry no it was the, the w wedding in the northeast i believe it was in the northeast where they uh you know they had an indoor wedding didn't wear masks and some crazy number like 30 40 percent 50 percent something like that uh of people got infected and contact tracing suggested that seven people died because of that wedding and i don't believe any one of those people who died was at the wedding it was just who they infected it was you know i think one person who died was at a nursing home who had been visited by someone who had just hung out with someone at the wedding um i guess i don't know what to say about that except you know none of us want to believe uh, you know, I've gotten to that point. Like in March, I was gung-ho. But now I'm at the point, especially after family and friends of mine, like occasionally I get into arguments with people. It's nothing brutal. You know, my what, family. What point? Sorry, say that. What point are you at? The point where you start saying, well, maybe I'll take this risk because I want to live my life. Or maybe I'm getting annoyed by getting into constant arguments with people about not doing this thing or not doing that thing that, you know, I think I should be doing, but people are like, all right, come on, Roman. It's been nine months, like, go do this thing. It's okay, it's cool. It'll probably be okay. And I think, you know, even to the most careful people, um, stuff like that is happening. You know, a couple, a month ago, I, I hugged my cousins. I knew that was a stupid thing to do, but everyone wanted to have a hug after 10 months. So we just fucking hugged, you know, and we got lucky. We got lucky. You know, I saw my mom didn't follow the exact proper protocol. We probably waited like nine days after we might've been exposed. We didn't wait the full 14, you know, and percentage wise, you're going to be okay. But like, we have this sort of thing in our brains that it's just not, you know, so there's also, it's not going to happen to me. I'm just sort of talking about the wedding where right. all these people got infected and seven people died far away who didn't attend think, the wedding. Yeah, I don't think it's, I mean, I, I think people are crazy. I don't think the response is is crazy. I think it's it's a tricky thing to convince people of. You know, it's tricky to say to people, you know, there aren't, you know, some of the rules are black and white, but some of them are gray. And some of it is about how you evaluate risk and, 
you know, can the experts help you to evaluate risk? But of course, that's why you need strong, consistent leadership, you know, sort of based in science and a, you know, in a strong background in public health and public policy. And even when you have that, you're still going to have outliers. I mean, I don't think the quote from that nurse I read, I think even if we had the best national response, you'd still have people like that. There are people all over the world are denying it and it's just but, tough, but, but you, yeah, you can see, just see why it's tough for people. Like I didn't see my mom for seven, eight months and she's living alone and it started getting worse and worse. I just felt terrible that I hadn't gone to check on her. And it was getting to that time of the season where I like removed the AC for her because she can't carry it herself. And then some crazy fucking person on the street who's trying to beat up a homeless person as we were walking by, screams in Meredith's face from like six inches away, just curses Meredith off. And I'm like, okay, fuck. I'm supposed to see my mom in two days with Meredith. Well, what do I do? Some random fucking maniac on the street just yelled in Meredith's face. And now I got to call my mom and I got to say, we can't see you this weekend because we got to wait 14 days. And then a week later, you know, something happens to me where I feel like I haven't properly quarantined. A week after that, Meredith gets a, gets a job or has to do something where she is not fully quarantined. Before you knew it, I canceled on my mom three times. And it and the pressure just sort of builds up, you know, especially when your own mother is saying, I want to see you. And, you know, she wasn't difficult about it. She understood every time. But... Um, you just see this playing out among families all over the country in a million different ways um, with a million different opinions. And fuck, I think it's what you said when there's no leadership, when there's no broad mandate, when there's no uh, uh, consistency between cities and states. Well, I also think, you know, kind of your anecdote to me sounds very normal it doesn't sound like a high degree of risk and the risk you're taking is you and meredith and your mom it's not like we're gonna go to an indoor restaurant with 500 other people when we see each other you know so it's also sort of again trying to explain to people you know the 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 risks that are out there and the behavior that's less risky compared to behavior that's more risky And so you can sort of plan and strategize a way to mitigate as much risk as you can. Now, there's nothing, you know, and and the reality, I think we're all kind of coming to terms with is there's some things we're kind of going to do and we're going to be okay with it. But I think the difference is, is for you, you're like, well, you know, me and Meredith and my mom are going to get together and wherever my house or her house. And, you know, we're not going to go see anybody else, or maybe we're going to sit on the porch or, you know, something like that. Like my mom came for a visit and she, we stayed outside the whole time on our patio and she stayed at a hotel and we all wore masks and there's, you know, there's a little bit of risk there, but probably not too much. We then didn't decide to, you know, go to a bowling alley. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that look at it like, you know, if, I, well, if I'm taking a risk, I'm, well, what does it even matter? You know, I might as well just go to the restaurant or go to the bowling alley or go to the football game or go to the party or, 
you know, and then I think the younger you get, the more invincible you feel. And the reality is, is it is affecting different, you know, age groups and, you know, worse than other age groups. So that's tricky to deal with. And there's, it's a very complicated thing that needs, you know, a lot of dynamic leadership. Um, there's no country in the world that isn't dealing with this. And, you know, there's no country in the world that's doing it perfectly. But like with most things in the United States, like we deal with it horribly. And then we turn around and like pat ourselves on the back and say, how could we do it better? You know? Indeed. This is anecdotal, but I had a, my neighbor was telling me that his uh, cousin or something, or sister, I think, was coming back on a flight from D.C. and 90% of the people on the flight weren't wearing masks. Um, she thinks it was because they were all coming back from the MAGA rally over in D.C. And, the you know, they took off, you know. It's fucking crazy. Too many people, too many in the, uh, too many people on the plane. They couldn't throw them all off. I guess. I guess that was their attitude. It's crazy. And what do you? And you know. And then you, you start to question yourself. Like, am I crazy? You know, are they crazy? Like, what's going on? I don't probably. You're like, it'll probably be okay. Um, and then really? I think there's this yeah. whole, in the way the number. I I kind of have issue a little bit with the way the numbers are reported because it's sort of like they report number of cases you know, which is like positive tests. So what exactly does that mean? Like what's right. the level of suffering that comes from that? And then deaths. So people just look at the number of deaths and they're like, well, that's not that many, you know, but I, I wish they would start saying, this is the number of people who are hospitalized today. And then there is some way to talk about the number of people who are not in the hospital, but are like going through the worst flu you know that they've ever been through you know that takes weeks to get over and they feel terrible and they're bedridden and all these things they never quite had to go to, had to go to the hospital yeah. because it was manageable and then you're talking about a much bigger number of people like i don't think that the worst thing about covid is dying it's it's getting covid is a horrible experience and there's you know the three levels one is death the worst level the second level is hospitalization. My cousin got COVID. He was hospitalized for three weeks. Um, uh, he didn't need to be, he didn't need a ventilator. Um, it was horrible. He got out of the hospital. He still felt horrible. He's like still, you know, dealing with the effects for months afterwards. Mm. Um, you know, so to me, he's like a, and he's a 50 year old guy with, you know, with six kids and, you know, lives a very healthy lifestyle and by all accounts was pretty careful. So I think to me, someone like that is much more the poster child for, for, you know, be cautious and take care than the person who's in the hospital dying, because, you know, all, all things considered, that's a relatively small number, yeah. you know, and you try and convince people that that's a big number, which is the way our society works. It's so big. It's so diverse. You know, there's so little faith in government that people are just like, ah, screw it. That doesn't sound like that much to me. So I, you know, I would hopefully, as we get into the next phase of this, maybe there'll be a kind of a more robust way to break it down for people about how it's affecting, you know, your you and your community. I hope so. I hope so. It's tough. I mean, it's a, it's a, it sometimes feels political to say things like, you know, of course Trump did well. He has a helicopter on his lawn. As soon as he was tested positive, as soon as he felt any discomfort, he's on the helicopter on his way to Walter Reed 
He gets the best treatments. He gets experimental treatments, you know, and some of that sounds political. It feels political. And then you look at, um, you look at some of the young people who have died. You look at some of the people who don't have great health care who have died. You look at the, the you know, um, Jeremiah, the, the R&B singer from Chicago, 33 years old. And, you know, you wonder, like, he's 33, you know, maybe he didn't go to the hospital for a little while because um, he felt like it couldn't possibly affect him as much as it did. But more, more than anything, I just I just get angry that um, he didn't have a helicopter the second he felt uncomfortable, you know. Um, I know this is kind of a bit of a, a, a shallow point, a bit of a, you know, I wish the world was perfect and everyone had the same treatment as the president of the United States, but fuck, I do, man. It sucks. I wish, I wish these kids were Or be- even 20% of the treatment that the United yeah. States has. Even in Sweden, you know, people talk about how terrible things are in Sweden and they've basically approached this herd immunity, you know, I I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but this, you know. They apparently failed to achieve herd immunity. Right. They've done this, you know, they've done very, they've gone a different way. I, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not the herd immunity approach, but they haven't locked anything down. They've, you know, had very few... Well, that's, restrictions that's a, on gatherings and all this stuff, and they were and they, they were hoping for herd immunity, immunity right. but it didn't work out. But you look at the response in Sweden, where they haven't really done anything right, and there are certainly, you know, a lot of criticism in the country and around the globe for the way they did it. But you look at how robust their public healthcare system is, mm. and how well people are treated, and how comfortable people are uh, with their physicians and seeking care and getting good care and immediate care <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just a whole other thing you know it'd be a you know so in the united states you just you have that other side of the coin which is you know we have a shit healthcare system that's only really available to people with money and then you you know throw that into the mix of people with no health care uh and no social safety net and of course they're going to be huge targets for this pandemic my last question as we sort of finish up our COVID conversation is do you think the Biden administration will have um, an impact? Um, and I don't know how to frame this quickly or six months, two months, you know, two days. Do you think they will have an impact on, on COVID in this country? I in hope ter- so. I hope so. Mit- yeah. Mitigating it, obviously. I hope so. I think that you couldn't do much worse than what was going on, you know? That's really the answer, right? We don't even know what a good response could do because we've seen nothing but zero response. We've seen nothing. But we'll see. It's going to be a real challenge. You know, I I do think it's time for strong executive action. I think the president, you know, should think about declaring some type of state of emergency and sort of unlock all of these you know, all of these mechanisms in the federal government that allows the, the executive branch to, you know, deal with a public health emergency. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it looks like. I, I think it does help just to literally have a president that, uh, you know, what, you know, reports say Donald Trump hasn't met with the coronavirus task force, which I guess doesn't even exist anymore for about four or five months. You know, so yeah. at least you'll at least you'll have a president that meets with the task force and and talks to his advisors about 
how to fix the situation. And, you know, what that means in intangible numbers, you know, any of us can guess, you don't know, but fuck. Well, like you said a, a minute ago, it's got to be better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's hard to, I don't think that it's, I think it's, I think one, if people start feeling like they're getting, people are looking for information. So authoritarian regimes are particularly bad at being trusted at giving good information. So hopefully having a Biden administration that can give good, solid information on a daily basis that people can use to determine their behavior and make choices is a good start. I think people are hungry for that kind of information. So that's good. So they can protect themselves. And then I think it goes from there. Well, I'll just say this. And that is friends you wish you had. We are not those friends. Thanks, Jeff. Later, Roman.